that are unrelated but that are all happening right at this time of the year. Uh, thought we'd just tie all of it together as a, uh, as a study tonight. We're going to get started on it right now. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, Internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 93- one three eight one four five six seven or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com we hope you'll take out your bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of god's word on this edition of the virtual bible study and we welcome you into the virtual bible study for thursday april 14th 2022 thank you for joining us tonight my name is jacob Gwynn. my father greg Gwynn is here hello dad great to be with you tonight jacob and kyle's behind the controls kyle welcome it's good to be here and we're glad that you're listening tonight. We want to hear from you at 931-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com in the chat window to the bottom of your video feed. We got a topic tonight, Jake. I was thinking of something, and I just three things came to mind that are happening right now. Tomorrow is actually uh, April 15th, which is traditional tax day. I think they're giving you until Monday because uh, Friday, this Friday is so-called Good Friday. So, but uh, April 15th, tomorrow, would be typical tax filing deadline day. Of course, this Sunday is the the day that men have designated as Easter. Uh, and then all around us, we're seeing spring blooming out. And so all those things are happening simultaneously. So we thought we'd just talk about all three of them, just sort of from a Bible perspective. All right. Uh, interesting combination of topics. Important ones, though, nonetheless. So let's start out with the first one, Easter. What about Easter? To our update list earlier today, I sent out some questions. I'll just cover this first one initially. Concerning Easter, does the Bible mention Easter? When did the observance of Easter originate? Is it important for Christians to remember the resurrection of Jesus should a special day be designated for such a remembrance of his resurrection? So let's start out with the, the, the question, is Easter mentioned in the Bible? And some people would potentially be quick to say yes, because the word actually occurs in the King James Version in Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12, beginning verse 1. Now, about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hand to vex certain of the church, and he killed James the brother of John with a sword, and because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread, and when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. And so someone would say, well, there's Easter. There's your, your reading right from the Bible, and it says Easter. <clears throat> this is the King James Version. And that is one of the notable flaws in the King James Version. We may have a chance to talk to someone in the near future who believes that the King James Version is the only ver- uh, English translation we should use because it's special, and we'll talk about that, maybe have a chance to interview someone who holds a, uh, that view. This would be one of the verses that we want to ask about. That is just a, an incredibly trans, a bad translation. Uh, I found a, a, a quote from Albert Barnes. I think a lot of our listeners will recognize uh, 
the commentator, Albert Barnes. Here's what he said. There never was a more absurd or unhappy translation than this. Acts chapter 12, verse 4. The original is simply after the Passover. The word Easter now denotes the festival observed by many Christian churches in honor of the resurrection of the Savior, but the original has no reference to that, nor is there the slightest evidence that any such festival was observed at the time that this book was written. The translation is not only unhappy, it does not convey at all the meaning of the original, but because it may contribute to foster an opinion that such a festival was observed in the time of the apostles. That's why it was put in there. Uh, The word is pasha. It simply means Passover. And it's found multiple times in the New Testament. That Greek word is found multiple times in the New Testament. And every other place where it's found, it is properly translated as Passover. Newer English translations will say Passover. The King James is an outlier on that. And it, and it's clear that uh, the, the King James translators did that intentionally to get Easter into the text. And it's not there. Kent in Catholic Georgia says the King James translators translated the term Pasha as Easter in Acts 12, verse 4. However, the definition of the term is Passover. Uh, the American Standard Version, 1901, the New King James Version, New American Standard, and English Standard Version all translate the term as Passover. There's no textual, textual evidence that the term Easter should have been used. Dwight in Ames, Iowa says... In Acts 12, verse 4, Easter is mentioned in the King James Bible. However, it should have been translated Passover. In other translations, Passover is used. In Acts 12, the Jews were observing the Passover, not Easter, that Moses had been instructed from the Lord to do back in Exodus. Yeah, I think I think Kent makes, I mean, uh, uh, Dwight here makes an interesting point. So who was who was Herod trying to accommodate here? He wasn't trying to accommodate the Christians. This was an act of persecution against Christians. So he wasn't waiting till after Easter to accommodate the Christians. He was waiting until after Passover to accommodate the Jews who who were opposing Christianity. Notice it even says these were the days of unleavened bread. Well, the days of unleavened bread associated with the observance of Passover and so, you know, that's what that's he was delaying because of Passover, not because of some Christian celebration of Easter. That's going to be the answer when you ask those King James only people about it as well. It was in the after Christ's death and resurrection. So it was Easter at that point. But that wasn't the context here uh, that he was using. Yeah. And um, in fact, we're going to see that there was no Easter in the, at that point. Uh, so, yeah, it was mistranslated uh, any way you slice it. Yeah. Uh, so the follow-up question then, if, if, that's, if that's not Easter in Acts 12, verse 4, and therefore we don't see it really anywhere in the New Testament, any, any even mention of Easter, the question is when did the observance of Easter originate? Well, it's, it's not in the Bible. That that in itself would be answer enough. It didn't originate in the first century under the guidance of the inspired apostles and prophets. It came later. And, and I think all church historians would quickly and unanimously agree that it came up later. There's a little question about exactly when it did. Philip Schaff and his history of the Christian church uh, says the first evidence for the observance comes from the second century. Uh, there were several councils uh, in 325. The Council of Nicaea said that this Easter should be observed on 
a Sunday rather than on some other day of the week. And other councils followed uh, to determine when they should pinpoint Easter. So it's, it's, it's not in the New Testament. It's, uh, it's the, the practice is not found in the New Testament. It clearly came up later. How much later doesn't actually matter. Just simply the fact that it's not there in the Bible is enough to tell us that we shouldn't be doing it because there's no authority for it. All right. How can you do it by faith if the Bible doesn't tell you how to do it or when to do it or to do it? Uh, It's a man-made observance with a lot of pagan influences in that as well. The the bunny, the the eggs, um, lots of, uh, of... questionable elements that have been introduced in this celebration as well. Sort of, sort of uh, connected with the idea of the, uh, the fertility of spring sort yeah. of thing. Yeah, some, some pagan practices here perhaps. Um, so uh, how, how, how is it that Easter hits on a different day every year? You know, it's not like uh, 4th of July. 4th of July is always on the 4th of July whenever that, whenever that day date rolls around how how come easter varies pretty widely sometimes it's in march and sometimes it's in late april it's always in the springtime but why is it why does it shift around well it it has to do with the fact that the the jewish calendar was a lunar based calendar rather than a solar based calendar and so they calculated their their feast days upon the phases of the moon, and, 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 and the, the, the moon phase is, I think, just slightly short of 28 days. Uh, and, and so it, you're, you're not going to get 12 lunar cycles. You're going to get more than 12 lunar cycles in a solar year. And so it kind of throws that off. And, and, and so the Jews calculated when the Passover should be observed based upon the phases of the moon. Well, the so-called Christian observance of Easter is is exact ties exactly with the Jewish Passover observance because Jesus was crucified on the Passover weekend, mm-hmm. uh, and so that's why Easter varies is because Passover varies, and and, and so whoever decided that we should observe Christmas uh, Easter, rather whoever decided we should observe Easter. They they were right that they should be linked to the to the Jewish observance of Passover, but uh, I mean that that's just a I guess a common sense sort of observation because that's that's when Jesus was in fact crucified was on Passover weekend. Okay, all right nine three one three eight one four five six seven questions at collegeu dot com. Kent says according to historical reference records of Melito of Sardis who died in one eighty A D. And Socrates so Scholastus of Constantinople in 300, he lived 380 to 439 AD. Easter was not celebrated by those who claimed to be leaving Christ until the mid second century. Socrates Scholastus indicated that the first century New Testament church did not observe Easter, even though they did believe in the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Christ. Yeah. So, I, And I think that's the key. And, and I, I believe, that, as Ken is saying there, that any church histo- historian who comments on it is going uh, to say the same thing. There's no argument about that. This was not a first century observance. And therefore, if it wasn't a first century observance, it wasn't something that, that was done at the direction and instruction of the inspired apostles. All right. 
Dwight says he's not sure about that. He found 27 to 33 common error. I, I don't think that's right, Dwight. I, and, and there may be somebody referencing that. That'd be way too early. That would In fact, even that would be, be within Christ's the lifetime death. of Christ. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I don't think that what what you found there, Dwight, probably off base somehow or another. I'm not sure how. Okay, all right now. All right, so Jacob, you're saying no Easter, right? okay? No Easter, and 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 clearly, I guess we should we should explain this. I don't think anybody misunderstands it, but the 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 annual Easter celebration of so-called Christians is supposed to be to commemorate the resurrection of Jesus. He died on the cross, but Easter Sunday is the day that supposedly he resurrected from the dead. And so Easter is a celebration of his resurrection, an annual celebration of his resurrection. But you're saying, no, don't do that. I guess that probably means then that you don't even attach any significance to the resurrection, right? I think that'd be the criticism we'd be open to. That's possible. It would be false. Um, without the resurrection, we have no hope. Uh, so uh, we we must have the resurrection. That must have be uh, factual. That must have occurred. Otherwise, we can throw our whole New Testaments away. Uh, Jesus' claim, Jesus's claims to be the Son of God are void. Um, and... Um, and we have no confidence at all. Yeah, I've, I've made the point, I think it's a fair point, that if every other single thing about the life of Jesus could be true, but if he died and, and stayed in the grave and was not resurrected, none of the rest of it would matter. Right. Uh, uh, where are you looking at there? Go ahead. Go ahead. I, I've got 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, beginning verse 13. If there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. And and so I think Paul is saying exactly what you were saying, Jacob, that we got nothing. If if the resurrection didn't happen, we we have nothing at all. In Romans chapter 1, verse 4, I think the apostle Paul puts his finger on the resurrection as as actually being the ultimate proof of the deity of Jesus. Romans 1, verse 4, Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. Uh, and so the the question is, do we think that the resurrection is important? Do we emphasize the resurrection? Do we think, are, are we grateful? Uh, do, do, we, do we see it as ultimately significant the answer to all those things is yes you know we often study and we've even done it on the virtual bible study before we've we've talked about why we believe the resurrection and and the and the important evidence that that substantiates the resurrection claims it's really important nobody absolutely nobody is diminishing the importance of the resurrection but we have to note Nowhere in the New Testament do we show that we should commemorate or memorialize 
or set a day aside to honor the resurrection. It's not in the Bible. Yeah. Uh, and so to do so would be to do so without faith, without the authority of God's work. And, and that's the key. I think that's the key answer to the last part of this discussion about Easter. Should a special day be designated for this remembrance? Well, if you were to designate such a day, you'd be stepping outside the bounds of, of scriptural authority. You know, we, we often talk about establishing authority by a command or direct statement, by an approved apostolic example, or by some necessary inference. Well, there is no command to observe or commemorate the resurrection of Jesus. There's no statement that, should, that suggests that we should do so. There's absolutely no example of the Christians in the first century uh, under the guidance of the apostles and prophets doing such things. So there's no command, no example, there, and there's nothing. The, the, the scripture makes no implication that this should be done. There's just no way to come to an authorized sp- special observance of the resurrection. But someone might argue and say, you know what, I don't agree with you because we're supposed to take the Lord's Supper. There's where you remember the resurrection and you memorialize the resurrection. What do you say about that? Well, uh, actually, we are not remembering his resurrection when we take the Lord's Supper. We're remembering his death uh, in Matthew chapter 26, verse 26, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it, break it, gave it to the disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup, gave thanks, gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is the blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the uh, remission of sins. So in, in, in instituting the Lord's Supper, we remember his body, which was sacrificed, and his blood, which was shed. We're remembering his death. Uh, That's what 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26 says. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death until he comes. We're remembering his death. You know, uh, to to some of our own brethren who are listening to us uh, tonight or uh, by podcast, I would really encourage, because you hear it pretty often when men uh, are directing our thoughts as we observe the Lord's Supper, they'll say something like, we're here to remember the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Well, we're really not, you know, and that's that is actually an inaccurate thing to say that we're not here to we're not doing the Lord's Supper to remember His resurrection, or even His burial. We're there to remember His death, His sacrificial death, the price that was paid to redeem us from our sins. And so I, it's it's better. And 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 I, I I challenge the men who are listening. If you have that role, and if you're leading the congregation in in, in thoughts uh, relative to protect participating in and, and observing the Lord's Supper. Remember, it's not death, burial, and resurrection. It's the death of Jesus is what we're remembering. And you can look back at when it was established in the Passover, at the Passover meal. They were not celebrating or remembering the, the Lamb's resurrection. That didn't occur. They were memorializing that sacrifice that had been made, the Lamb's sacrifice in in Egypt. The blood on the doorpost for the Passover. The blood, and they ate the Lamb. Yeah. We do the same in the in the Lord's Supper today, um, and so um, it's important distinction there. Uh, Kent did say this. Um, uh, he says, yes, it's important to remember the resurrection of Christ. However, we need to do so as the New Testament authorizes such. The New, New Testament church remembers the suffering and death of Christ on the first day of every week. Now here, he says, by implication, this would also authorize the remembrance of the resurrection of Christ. Also, 
1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 28, and Acts 20, verse 7. This is the limit of the New Testament instruction. This, thus, this should be the limit of our practice, Colossians 3, 17, 2 John, verse 9. Uh, and, and I'm not totally sure of where, Kent, uh, where Kent's going with that, other than uh, uh, he references Acts 20, verse 7, that the Lord's Supper is actually to be observed on the first day of the week, which was the day uh, that uh, the Lord raised from the dead. I don't, uh, I don't know if Kent is suggesting there's some kind of an implication in regards to the fact that we observe the Lord's Supper on the first day, the, the day of the week that Jesus was resurrected. But, again, I'm not sure that that's strongly implied. There doesn't seem to ever be any connection made to that uh, uh, in, in the Scripture, so I don't know. Okay. All right. Um, and uh, Dwight says, It is not commanded the day we remember and celebrate for his death on the cross is every first day of the week. All right. Okay. Uh, he says, remembering the resurrection is not what was commanded. Not that it's not important, but we don't remember his resurrection as a, as the religious world does. I guess he would say that with a sort of a... You know, we, we might ask, we're, a little, we're over time here, Jacob, but we might ask the question, could we designate a special day uh, for the day that Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist? Someone said, well, I don't know, that seems weird. Why? I mean... Why would that be any different than observing some day, some other day that's not authorized in the scripture? I think we should make, I don't know, let's make August the 3rd, Jesus Baptism Day. Someone says, well, I don't think you can do that. Why not? If we're just going to start picking days and naming them, why not? Yep, right. All right. Um, David's in the chat room. He references Romans chapter 6. Uh, verse 5, Romans 6, verse 5, uh, for if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also uh, be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Talking about our baptism um, there. Um, Actually, the, uh, baptism ties more closely to the notion of resurrection than the Lord's Supper does. Right. Okay. All right, we're going to break. We're late. And when we get back, we'll take up uh, a topic that may be a little bit more painful, taxes. Taxes, Don't yeah. Don't go anywhere. We're back right after this. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. Here's some quotes worth pondering. I went out to find a friend and could not find one there. I went out to be a friend and friends were everywhere. Wisdom is knowing what to do next. Virtue is doing it. A people that values its privileges above its principles soon loses both. Here's the test to find whether your work on earth is finished. If you're alive, it isn't. If you can control yourself in one moment of anger, you will escape a hundred days of sorrow. Man, wish I'd said that. Here's a quick thought. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Joshua 1, verse 8. Do you meditate on the will of God? He's revealed it to us in His Word. When you do that diligently, you will prosper and have good success in the ways that the Lord desires. Seize the day. Quit checking your email. The commercials are over and the virtual Bible study is ready to roll. Take it away, guys. Back on the program tonight uh, as we look at various springtime topics. i got to say, though, Kyle, we cannot condemn jelly uh, beans. We've got to have some jelly beans. 
Oh, you don't. No, you don't think you don't think jelly beans have any pagan origin? I don't think they do. I think they're they're all they're valid in my book. I don't know. I don't know. I'm sure we could find somewhere to squeeze it in. I, I, I'm going to say I though, I, I have. I, I do think we should object to those. Spicy oh, one. the spice ones. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds They're not right. That has to be, yeah. I find uh, peeps. We need to make sure. Oh, the peeps. <laughs> That's your Just, thing? Oh, that may be. I can get some stirred up in the comments. I'm okay. All right. All right. All right. On to something more taxing. Okay. So we're talking about three things that are just kind of happening here all yeah. simultaneously. We talked about the man-made, the man-originated observance of Easter Here's something else that man have made, and we don't like it either. That is taxes. Okay. But it's not a new thing. You know, the, so to our update list, we ask, concerning taxes, should Christians pay taxes? Would Christians be justified to refuse paying taxes because some tax money is used to fund sinful practices like abortion? And would what moral principles should be followed when filing our taxes? So uh, the first question, first should Christians pay taxes? You know that our Lord Himself answered that question. Right. <clears throat> yep. Let me read in Luke chapter twenty, beginning at verse twenty-two, or verse twenty-one. Luke twenty, beginning verse twenty-one. They ask Him, saying, "Master, we know that Thou sayest and teachest rightly; neither acceptest Thou the person of any, but teachest the way of God truly. Is it lawful for us to give tribute unto Caesar, or no?" <clears throat> Now that was all put on. That, that, that they were the, the, these people were were uh, that was false flattery, and and they are in an attempt to try and entrap Jesus here. Verse twenty three says, "He perceived their craftiness and said to them, Why tempt ye me? <coughs> Excuse me. Show me a penny. Whose image and superscription hath it?" They answered and said, "Caesar's." He said unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things which are God. <coughs> so Jesus answered the question, yeah, pay your taxes. Yeah, and then shortly thereafter in, in chapter 23 of Luke, they're going to just be completely, well, they're they're lying all over the place, but they're going to go as far as saying Jesus said, don't pay tr- taxes to Caesar. They're on the record uh, for asking him that earlier, and he said, "Do pay taxes to Caesar." Yeah, I, thought, I think that's such an interesting uh, demonstration of how they were determined to get him. If they had to lie to do it, they would lie to do it. Yeah, because, yeah. as you said in, in Luke twenty-three verse two, they began to accuse him before Pilate, saying, "We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesars, saying that he himself is Christ a king." That's just a that's just a bald faced lie yeah. that they were using to try and condemn. And him. then they want to look all loyal to the king, and they ask for an insurrectionist to be released, Barabbas. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, perverted all over the place. But uh, Christ is on the record for saying, "Pay your taxes." Yeah. So that's Luke twenty. We were reading. You can find same the same account in Matthew twenty two, beginning at verse seventeen, and in Mark twelve, beginning at verse fourteen. So it's just absolutely. Tr- I mean that. If 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 all questions were that easy to answer, it'd be it, we wouldn't even need the virtual Bible study. That that is so straightforward and easy. We should pay our taxes now. Yeah, but it gets a little more complicated. Now here's the say. complication. So our government. So we're paying taxes, obviously, to the United States of America government. But I'm telling you, they're doing some stuff with that money that I don't approve of. I mean, they're probably doing a whole bunch of stuff. 
with that money that I don't approve of. But, you know, a, a dramatic example of that is that some of that money is used to fund or promote abortions. Uh, obviously, we, we, we just de- detest that horrific practice. Uh, and so would we be justified and say, okay, if they're going to do that, I am not paying taxes because I don't want any money out of my pocket to be used to to do that sort of thing. What about that? Well, uh, you know, uh, that would assume that they're, if Jesus is telling, saying pay taxes, that would assume that Jesus was um, living in a time when the government was pure and, and completely uncorrupt, and we know that was not the case. Yeah. Uh, Caesar uh, was incredibly corrupt probably would make modern governments look like um, schoolboys here. I mean, it looked like uh, model citizens compared to what was going on back then. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's that's got to be the answer, right? So Jesus clearly instructed that taxes should be paid. But he, when he said that, <clears throat> the taxes were being paid to what was a, an extremely corrupt government. And so... I, I think what we see there is Jesus is giving a, 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 a separation of accountability and responsibility that that applies to us to pay your taxes, and and by Jesus's own implication there, we're not responsible for what the government does with the taxes once we pay them. If that was true for the for the first century Christians paying taxes to Rome, it is also true for us paying our taxes to our present government. Now. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't speak out against such evil. I mean, for instance, abortion. I think we should be very vocal in our opposition to, to, to abortion. We should decry the fact that our government helps promote that sort of thing. We should use our vote to try and change that. But still, we pay our taxes. I have known of some of some Christians who tried to make the argument that they weren't going to pay taxes because of the corruption of the government. They didn't want to fund the corruption of the government. I just don't think that argument stands at all. Paul says we need to render tribute to whom tribute is due in Romans 13, verse 7. Uh, that tribute was going to the people who were lighting their garden parties with the bodies of Christians, um, those who would, were feeding them to lions, uh, those who would ultimately be responsible for Paul's death, uh, tribute to whom tribute is due. Yeah. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter says, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God that with well-doing he may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man. Well, one of the ordinances they've passed is taxes. i got to submit to that. It doesn't mean we have to like it. But we have to submit to it. Uh, I, I just think that's a very straightforward answer. I mean, it's just necessary. We have to. Now, the follow-up part of that question is, what moral principles should be followed when we file our taxes? Well, I mean, I think, again, quite simply, if you're to do it, you're to do it uh, with honesty and integrity. Uh, so here's the question. Do you think that you could get by with cheating on your taxes? Do you think that you could cut some corners, 
scale down your reported income, save a few bucks here and there in the filing of your tax. I think it would be extremely easy to do. I think people do that all the time. Absolutely. And and the chances, the chances of getting caught in that are very people are people are terrified of the IRS. But the truth of the matter is that the IRS is probably not going to catch you if you cheat on your taxes. If you have any if you have any uh thinking process behind it at all, you're not going to do obvious things, but you could do less than obvious things that would reduce your tax bill. And the chances of them catching you at that are, are slim to none. Yeah. But the point of it is, our God in heaven knows whether we've been honest in all things, and, and we just have to be. Eric says, but we're so quick to say that we obey and submit to the laws and government unless they contradict biblical principles. Um, yeah. That That's right. Unless So... I think the difference there, and I think it's a good point that Eric says, you know, so the principle that Eric is referencing is Acts 5.29, we ought to obey God rather than men, right? Yeah. So if the government told us, you have to, you have to perform the abortion, well, I have to obey God rather than men. I'm not going to physically perform the abortion because I've got to obey God rather than men. But actually, we have a command from God to pay taxes. And so... Uh, and again, the the example of Jesus saying to do so was was under the uh, the rule of an incredibly corrupt government. So uh, again, uh, it, by paying our taxes, we are not personally violating any instructions. No, pay your taxes, and in paying your taxes, you're actually obeying God, not disobeying God. And 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 Jesus. And Jesus actually gave us the waiver. Jesus gave us a waiver of accountability on on what's done with the taxes after we pay them. Yeah. Um, there, there's a, you know that there, there might be a parallel. I don't know. Let's see what you think about this, Jacob. So. Oh, Eric's trying to get a. He's Eric's looking for a loophole. He wants to figure <laughs> out a way to get out of paying his taxes. Hey, hey, Eric, you got until Monday. You better get busy. Yeah. Uh, uh, they give you a couple extra days this year. Uh, so I go over here to the convenience store, uh, and and I buy uh, you know a donut and a cup of coffee. Well, the guy who runs that convenience store is a bad dude. I'm just I don't know. I'm just saying. What if he is? What if he's? What if out the back door of the convenience store he's peddling drugs? He's He's doing all kinds of evil things, and I'm giving him some profit on my coffee and donut that he may use to do some really bad stuff. Should I not? Should I not buy from him? Uh, again, I think there's a I think there's a separation of accountability there. I mean, when I buy my coffee and donuts, I'm pay, paying a fair price uh, for a good or service. Uh, and 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 what he chooses to do with the profit he makes on that sale, I'm not accountable for. Yeah. Um, and uh, Dwight says, just as the son is not accountable for his father's actions, we're not accountable for the government's actions, he says. Okay. That's good, Dwight and Michelle. <clears throat> um, uh, so Dwight, in his email, says the government that God instituted says we are to pay taxes, then we obey the law and pay them. Uh, he says, if the government, if uh, the government that God instituted says we're to pay taxes and we obey the law and pay them, Matthew twenty-two seventeen through twenty-one, uh, Kent says, 
um, Christians are obligated to pay taxes, Romans 13, 1 through 7. We should not refuse to pay taxes. However, as individuals, we should use our personal influence to change civil laws that support the evils of abortion and other types of sinful activities, such as the homosexual movement, transgenderism, the woke movement, or critical race theory. The basic principle of New Testament honesty must be used in the payment of taxes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, And Dwight went a little bit further on that, too, Jacob. He said... uh, uh, we have the obligation to pay our taxes. If those in leadership roles of our government choose to do wrong with the tax money, God will deal with them according. I think that's a good point there. That Dwight's made. So if if the government does use the funds that they obtain through taxes, if they use those for evil purposes like abortion or something of that, God will hold them accountable. But we understand that the accountability is with them, not us. Okay. Uh, he says, in filing our taxes, we need to follow the rules and do it honestly. If one chooses to hide or not disclose his wages proper, uh, disclose his wages properly in order to get out of paying taxes, God will see to it that, indiv- see to it that that individual on the last day, if they did not repent of their uh, deceitfulness, deceitfulness and lying is not a trait that Christians should have. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I've, I've thought about this. Uh, you know. <clears throat> I, I'm of the opinion that if if the IRS or some some tax uh, detective were to take any of our tax returns, they might well be able to find something that we that we didn't do exactly accurately, you know. And and it, and it may be that that we failed to pay a few dollars worth of our taxes. Because, you know, the tax law is a book like, you know, thousands of pages. Uh, I, a lot of us, I know you do, Jacob, and I do. I, I use I use tax software. I just plug in the numbers. And, and I'm counting on the fact that the H&R Block people who, who construct the software that I use, I'm counting on the fact that they know what they're talking about. I don't even, I don't even look at the forms. I just plug in the numbers, and they spit out the forms. I'm assuming that they understand the tax laws and, and are applying them accurately in my regard. In other words, I'm making a good faith effort to file my taxes accurately. Could could somebody find some loophole that I failed to jump through? I don't know, maybe. But, I mean, I've, we got to make our very best good faith effort to file accurately. All right. Um, let me throw this out there and we'll get a break. You know, it is a command that we pay our taxes. Maybe that ought to adjust our attitude towards it a little bit. I know it's not fun, but we're doing what God said to do, and uh, we shouldn't get all bitter about it. Uh, let's get a break, get this week's bullet point. When we get back, uh, we'll move on to the final topic. Yeah, we want to talk. Uh, just what about spring? What, what, what are your observations about spring? All right. Flowers and butterflies. Here we go. Uh, right after this. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The virtual Bible study continues after this announcement. Hello, I'm Nick Law from Jennings, Florida. I love to listen to the virtual Bible study and hear God's Word taught every Thursday night. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. What would you think of a man who tells his wife, I know there's some things I need to change in order to be a proper husband, and I plan to make those changes, but not right now. I have some things I want to do first. Pursue some of my hobbies. Hang out with my friends. Go places and do things I like. After I get all that stuff done, I'll take care of my home duties. You would think that a man like this is an incredible jerk. What is he thinking? 
Does he really expect his wife to wait to put up with his selfish, childish conduct until he's ready to get serious about their relationship? No. He needs to get things right, right now. If this is what we'd expect and demand from a husband toward his wife, why would we think differently about an individual's duties toward God? Can you imagine how God feels when people selfishly pursue all their own desires while continually postponing their obedience to Him? There are many who know what they should do, and they claim that they intend to do it, but they keep procrastinating. It is an affront to the God who loves us and who constantly blesses us with every good gift. James 1 verse 17. For all those who express their plans to obey the gospel, but not right now, we urge you to think seriously about how God perceives this delay. For those who have initially obeyed but have fallen into a state of unfaithfulness, please consider that God says you have, quote, trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith you were sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace, unquote. Hebrews 10, verse 29. So, are you planning to do right, but not right now? Better think about that again. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. We're uh, back on the virtual Bible study, going to the top of the hour here, uh, talking about springtime. Yeah, so we talked about Easter. We talked about Texas. Here's something more pleasant. Let's talk about what we see in the spring all around us. Well, it may be pleasant for some. S. Dvorak in the chat room says that spring is not good for those seasonal allergies. Makes makes Estivorex sneeze. Yeah, I have those too. I understand that completely. And this spring seems to have been particularly bad. I, uh, uh, I've I've had more springtime allergies this season than 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 even typical. Huh. Interesting. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know whether that's true or not. It just seemed to be true in my case. Huh. Uh, but you know, I think everybody, you know, all the seasons are have their own unique. I think, interesting aspects. Uh, but it seems like people are especially drawn to spring to comment upon the beauty of God's creation. I think among Christians, you probably hear that kind of an observation more commonly during the spring season than any other. It really is a beautiful time of year. And it, and it is a, a, maybe the contrast between sort of the cold, dark, gray winter months, and then, then the, the sun is out and the flowers are blooming and everything's turning green again. Maybe it's just that contrast that catches our attention. But I, I do hear that. And you even hear in our assemblies, in our worship services and Bible studies when men pray, they very often mention the beauties of God's creation at this time of year, and it, it is truly the case. And you see great design at this time of year with uh, life coming back to those seeds that were in suspended animation uh, over the winter, uh, Those that life that was held in suspense in that seed, that little bitty seed that has all of the genetic makeup that it needs to make that plant so that it can do the same thing this year that its parent plant did last year to produce that fruit that will have that seed in it, that will repeat that cycle again. All of that designed perfectly so that it happens at the right time. And how does that all survive, the harshness of winter and so forth? Yeah. It's all, as you say, it's all by the incredible design of God. Uh, In Genesis 1, during the creation week, God said, 
Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, an herb yielding seed after his kind, the tree yielding fruit, whose seed was in itself after his kind. And God saw that it was good, and the evening and the morning were the third day. Everything that we're seeing happening here is by the design of God. And, you know, that's one of the great arguments for for the supernatural creation, not not a just a, a random evolution, uh, but you know the the argument that I think evolutionists just cannot answer is the idea of design demands a designer. And I'm going to tell you when you see uh, all all that happens as as you say the the the, the seeds sprouting and everything beginning to grow in the springtime. And, and to, to ever argue that all of that could just have come about by mere chance, by random accident. It's just, it's too much to believe. It's just, uh, uh, someone has written a book recently, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. And it would take a tremendous amount of faith to believe that all that could have happened without the guidance of, of an all-powerful God. And look, in just in every direction that you look, look at the trees that come out at just the right time. You know, we get some really cold uh, temperatures uh, even in late uh, winter. But they're, they're preceded by very warm temperatures, and your trees aren't budding at that time. Your trees are budding at the right time so that they can survive through and, and, and grow. Um, so you could get a 70-degree day in January here in in, in uh, Middle Tennessee, yeah, yeah. but the tree's not going to start yet. No. You can get a week of 70-degree temperatures, yeah. and it's not going to start. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, look at the insects. Those insects, those those delicate insects that are able to preserve life through the harsh winter and come out at the right time. Uh, We're actually hoping that the cold weather will knock down the, the but flies does, and but mosquitoes. It doesn't. But it, it doesn't. doesn't. That's, uh, I think that's one of the biggest wives' tales. So you, they have terrible mosquitoes in Alaska. Yeah. Um, yeah, you hear people say, oh, we need some. You, you hear people here in Tennessee saying, we need some. We need a good cold snap so there won't be so many mosquitoes this this yeah. summer. As you say, I, I went, as a, as a teenager, I went with some people into, into uh, northern Canada on a fishing trip in the summertime. And I'll tell you, the mosquitoes just nearly carried us away. Right. It was just as soon as the sun even thought about going down, the mosquitoes were just out in clouds. Yeah. Yeah. Just look at all of the look at all the detail, and you're seeing it burst forth into life now, and it's screaming that there had to be some design in this. It could not happen by chance. Um, and you look at that that chance thing. Someone has said it's like jumping the Grand Canyon. You either do it or you don't. You can't have things that happen by chance and just it, partially. Partially. Yeah. Uh, well, it didn't quite work, but maybe the next time, the next generation it'll work. No, you failed, and that generation died. You've got to start all over. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's grab our last break, Jake. When we come back, we'll just have a few concluding thoughts. We might have a little bit shorter virtual Bible study this week than typical, but uh, we come back. I got one more thing I want to mention about the 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 outbreak of spring. Okay. Dwight and Michelle say God spoke this all into existence. No special mixing bowl. Amazing. Exactly right. Yeah, amazing. All right. We'll get a break, and we're going to the top of the hour right after this. 
Have you checked out all of the resources on collegeview.com lately? Check it out now while you listen to these important messages. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. My name is Roger Toomes, and me and my wife love to listen to the virtual Bible study on Thursday nights. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. Recent surveys confirm the importance of religious training for children. Two-thirds of self-professed Christians became believers before the age of 18. 43% of these developed their faith before the age of 12. However, less than one-fourth of current believers made this decision after age 21. That information is via ministrytochildren.com. The Word of God says in Proverbs 22, verse 6, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Colossians three seventeen. Now back to the program. And we're back talking about springtime tonight. If you've got comments, share them in the chat room tonight. Give us a call. We can take but your call before the end. Uh, we didn't read what our emailers said here, Jacob. Yeah. So uh, Dwight said we can see God's work in all the seasons. The, this particular season of spring is a wonderful time because it comes with life and beauty and warmth. Flowers blossom. Animals give birth to their babies. The daylight hours are longer to enjoy all these beautiful changes that happen each and every year. We observe all this because God put all seasons into action from the beginning. And Kent said springtime is a beautiful season of the year. Such can and should be used to demonstrate the reality of the existence of God as well as his creative power. Acts right. seventeen twenty four through 29. And he, he's referencing there when Paul was preaching to the the pagan idolatrous worshipers in Athens in Acts yep. 17, the okay. famous Sermon on Mars Hill. Okay. Uh, so one of the things that I was thinking of, just a thought I had relative to spring, is it's predictable. We know when it's going to happen. We know, I mean, because because the universe works in clockwork fashion. We we so in January, you don't have to think. Oh man, I wonder if it's ever going to get warm again, or is it just going to stay like this forever? No, you know, it, it's going to come around. Spring is going to come around. Just it 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 never fails. Actually. <clears throat> That's the fulfillment of one of the oldest promises in the Bible. At the end of Noah's flood, at the end of Noah's flood in Acts, or excuse me, in Genesis chapter 8, uh, uh, verse 21, the Lord smelled a sweet savor. That is when Noah built an ark after the flood, offered sacrifices. Genesis 8:21. the Lord smelled a sweet savor. And the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any more every living thing as I have done. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. Uh, and so uh, there was a promise that God made. And as long as the world stands, now that that's, that that promise, he says, while the earth remaineth. <laughs> and, and there's a clear implication the earth won't remain forever but but while the earth remains there's going to be seed time and harvest uh, there's going to be summer and winter and and nothing's going to stop that i remember as a kid we, we were particularly afraid of nuclear war they when i was a kid in grade school we actually would have drills wherein we would get under our desk under the threat of nuclear bomb. I, I'm not sure what those desks were going to do for us if there was a nuclear bomb. But, uh, uh, but I mean, they really had us terrified of that. And they, they talked about nuclear winter. You know, they're going to set off these nuclear bombs. It's going to, it's going to 
shade the sun. The sun won't shine through the clouds, uh, and and the whole earth will freeze over. Uh, there'll be a long nuclear winter. No, that's not going to happen. God's not going to let that happen. God said there will as as long as the earth stands, there's going to be uh, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter. That's a that's a comforting promise. Yeah, but many use that consistency as means to deny what God has said in Second Peter chapter three verse three, knowing this first that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that was then was, over, was being overflowed with water perished. Uh, but the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved into fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Yeah. So they, they, that is a constant thing, but don't assume that it will last forever. Yeah. Okay. Uh, in the chat room, uh, comment is that if those desks were solid lead, they might be helpful if you were at least 50 miles from the blast yeah. center. Yeah. Maybe, maybe yeah. so. Yeah. But, you know, I, I said, years ago we moved, uh, when you were a kid, Jacob, we moved to Knoxville, Tennessee, which is close to, real close to Oak Ridge, Tennessee, where a lot of the development of the nuclear weapons did, did and is taking place. Uh, and, and when we were moving there, somebody said, you know, oh man, don't you know that if there's a, if there's a nuclear war, that Oak Ridge will be one of the first places that, that they hit. And my response to that was, if there's a nuclear war, I hope the first bomb lands right on top of my house with me and all my family in it. Uh, I don't want to survive that. If you are ready, that would be a blessing. Yeah. 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 All right. I think we've covered it, Jay. We're a little, we're, we're a little early uh, uh, to end the program, but I think we've covered our bases. Well, and, there's uh, no use uh, pro- prolonging the inevitable here. Yeah, someone, someone, someone told me years ago uh, about preaching. Uh, a, a good rule for preachers is when you get done, quit yeah and so we'll do that on the virtual Bible study what about you kyle any comments from you tonight no it's a good study it's a good time of year to focus on renewal and where we are and make sure we're keep studying god's words that's it's a good good program it is important discussion thanks for helping us get it out tonight kyle all right dad thanks for your time tonight thanks jacob thank you for being here hope you benefited from our study and discussion of god's word what about next week oh yeah next week yeah looking forward to uh next week uh, Tanner Adams uh, from Illinois has agreed to be a part of our program next week. He is a dispensationalist, King James-only, fundamental Baptist preacher who uh, adamantly believes in once saved, always saved. Uh, so we'll talk to him next week about that and compare that with what the Scriptures teach next week. Okay, good. Uh, really appreciate Tanner. He jumped right on it. He was, he's more than uh, willing to defend his And position. we find that uh, that's not real common these days yeah absolutely so it should be a very good discussion you want to be here next week for that uh tell your friends uh, to join in as well as uh, tanner adams from illinois joins us uh to talk about once saved always saved a doctrine i wish i could believe but it's just not supported by the scriptures but we'll talk about that uh next week okay all right uh we hope you benefited from our study discussion of god's word i hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the virtual bible study in the meantime we encourage you to put god first in your life study his inspired word the bible and live by it every day You'll never regret it.
Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.